Let's just pray before we jump into it, uh, that God would do what he pleases, amen, in each of our hearts, in each of our lives. Father, uh, God, we ask you, like we often do, that you would make our hearts good soil uh, for your word. God, that you would till up our hearts, remove and rocky things and thorns and distractions, just anything that would keep your word from uh, implanting and growing in us, God. We do want your word to grow in us, grow in us, uh, grow into a harvest of faith, a harvest of righteousness in us. Allow your word to shape and mold us to be the men and women of God that you desire for us to be in the name of Jesus. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you help me to communicate well? Help Help me to speak only what you want spoken and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. To God be the glory. All right. All right, so uh, again, welcome to Calpha. We are so glad uh, that you're here. I'm excited, excited to be here with you guys tonight. Some of you guys may have noticed a couple of days ago, where we are here in the Memphis area, we had a great view of the lunar eclipse. Did any of you guys see that? Or maybe you just saw like a picture of it in your feed, something like that. It was really cool. It, it, the lunar eclipse caused it to have this kind of reddish color uh, and it, just a really, really interesting, beautiful view of the moon. The moon... It's really cool, right? The moon is interesting. Uh, the, the moon is cool. The moon is very far away from the earth. How far away from the earth? You're exactly right. About 240,000 miles from the earth. 240,000 miles away. Um, and the amazing thing about the moon, as far away as it is, 240,000 miles, there are people, none of us, but there's people that have been to the moon. You guys know this, right? This is not news to anybody. There's people that have been to the moon, astronauts that have been to the moon, and some of them have even stood on the surface of the moon, walked on the surface of the moon. Not very many. Not very many. In fact, 12 human beings in all of human history have stood on the surface of the moon. 12 human beings, right? That's not very many. The billions and billions and billions of humans that have lived over the course of time, a dozen of them have stood on the surface of the of the moon. That's incredible, right? And so you would think this moon, another celestial body, if there's a human being that has stood on the surface of another celestial body that is not the earth, they would be the most famous person in all the world, right? Most famous person in the world. So that's why you can probably name all 12 of these men, right? That stood on the surface of the moon. So let's hear them. The first one is Neil Armstrong. Armstrong. And who else? (laughs) You're right. Buzz Aldrin. Who else? Okay, so my point, my point being, good job on Neil Armstrong. Your history books, your elementary school history books did a real good job with drilling that in. Um, but there's like 10, 11 other dudes who also walked on the moon. We don't know their names at all. Like you could look it up, like a good Wikipedia entry. I would have to look it up. How amazing is it that you could, you could accomplish that? You could stand on the surface of another celestial body that is not the earth, uh, and, and people will not even know your name, right? That you could accomplish something so spectacular uh, and people not even know who you are, right? There's been 46 American presidents, right? Anybody feel confidently that they could just rattle off all 46 of those guys' names? Me neither. Honestly, probably not. I hope I could get most of them. These people are the presidents, the leaders of a super important country. In fact, the country uh, that we're living in right now, super important dudes. We don't know all their names. We can't remember them. They are recorded somewhere in history, but they're not famous enough that our brain bothered remembering it, right? Um, Let me make it a little more personal than that. Uh, You guys have parents, and you guys have grandparents, right? How many people would say, just show of hands, raise your hands, that you know the first name 
of at least two of your grandparents. You know, the first name, basically, is two of your grandparents. Fantastic. Leave your hands up. Keep your hands up if you, if you know uh, the first name of at least one of your great-grandparents. Two of your great-grandparents. You know the first name of more than two of your great-grandparents. Okay, we're losing some names. Losing some people. Y'all, y'all are incredible, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give it up for... Uh... <laughs> Give it for Caleb and Dallas. That's incredible. What about great-great-grandparents? You know the first name of any great-great-grandparents? Your family does an incredible job with the family tree. That's amazing. Yeah, you do too also? Okay, it is not common that people know the first names of, of many of their great-great-grandparents. I mean, great-great is that's five generations removed. Now, this is your own family members, right? And maybe in school you did a family tree project, right? And, and, and mom looked it up and, and you got all the names on there and you remembered it for a couple weeks, but, but that, you would, you would know, that you would know the names of people even just four or five generations removed is rare. Now, let's make it even more personal than that. You someday may have children. And they may have children. You'll be a grandma or a grandpa. And they may have children. You may be somebody's great-grandpa someday or great-grandma someday. And we just did a show of hands. How likely is it your great-grandchildren are going to remember your first name? Ah! It's pretty low. One generation beyond that, forget about it. Forget about it, right? Unless you're in Taylor's family, forget about it. Or, or sorry, the Dallas' family, forget about it, right? Uh, and and maybe, your, maybe your grandma did, paid the premium for Ancestry.com, right? So she can go way back. But, but for the most part, your own great-grandchildren, maybe they know your first name. They probably can't say that much about you. If our own family members are not going to remember us someday, right? Fast forward 100 years from now, unless you, unless you accomplish something spectacular that lands you in the history books, uh, and, and maybe you will, right? Odds are, 100 years from now, no one's going to remember my name. Probably won't remember your name either. Not even your own family members. Man, this is a bummer. Well, here where I'm going with this, right? In light of this, how much of a waste of time is it to make our lives about our own fame? and popularity, and greatness, and getting our name out there, when a couple generations from now, no one's going to remember us at all, right? This is the place I kind of want us to rest in as we think about tonight, that if we build our lives around the pursuit of our own fame, we're always going to be building in vain. Always going to be building in vain. A hundred years from now, it will not matter how famous you were, how popular you were, how successful, how well-known you were in your community, A life spent pursuing your own fame and fortune is a tragic waste because in the view of eternity, these things don't have lasting significance. Most of us will be completely forgotten, right? And and you may think that that's a downer. Uh, Man, that's a tough tough note to begin on, but, but see where I'm going with this. Because I love you, and I do not want you to waste your life, right? I love you. I don't want you to waste your life. Your life can have great significance and value and meaning, but it won't be because you sought to make your own name great, right? That's not how to give your life meaning. That's not how to give your life significance. You can spend your whole life, next 80, 90 years, trying to make your name as great as it can be, make yourself as famous as can be, and you'll have wasted your life. But there is a way. There is a way to have significance. There is a way to have meaning, but it's not in that. We do crave recognition. We crave popularity, right? We, we, we want people to, to know who we are and why we are important, right? We like to be thought well of and for a lot of people to know who we are. We like walking in the room and a bunch of people know our first name. Hey, what's up, Matt? We like, that makes us feel good, right? We want to be well known. Why is that? Why does it matter to us so much uh, that people know who we are? 
man, or, or how many followers we have, or how many views or likes our, our posts get. And for those of you not really on social media, man, there's still that pull uh, to be popular. We want people to know us. Uh, maybe we want to be famous. Man, last year uh, when we did our, our influencer series, uh, we looked at a poll of how many people your age and younger, when they stated what they wanted to be when they grew up, is they wanted to be a social media influencer, a YouTuber, right? They wanted to, to make a living making YouTube videos or, or, or giving fashion tips on, on Instagram reels, right? That, that's what they wanted to be when they grew up. That was their, their chief aspiration is to be a famous person. Um, greater than 50% of people your age and younger when they're polled a little bit, little bit younger. Picture like 14 on down. Over half of them be like, yeah, I want to be an influencer. For sure. I'm going to be a YouTuber. You know you can make money doing that, don't you, Dad? Right? They're going to, they're going to, <laughs> and a lot of people are, are built into this idea of like, if I could just be famous, then that's it. Man, I'm set. If I could just be popular, just be famous, then that's it. We want people uh, to know how important we are. And maybe it's because we feel like if we don't assert our own importance, no one else is going to do it for us, right? We feel like if I don't put my own name out there, if I don't let you know how important I am and how big a deal I am, man, no one else is going to do it. Who else is out there hyping me up, right? Who else is out there promoting me? So I got to put myself out there. I got to be out there making sure that I'm famous, making sure that I'm well-known. And so that's how we get, get, get in that cycle, right? Of like, man, I got to put myself out there. And then the crushing disappointment when people don't really care too much about who we are, right? And what we got going on. Um, but again, I mean, I say all this because I love you and I don't want you to waste your life. I don't want you to waste this precious life that God's given you. Tonight, we are talking about fame and popularity and how we should think about those things as Christians, Jesus doesn't want us to waste our lives chasing after these empty things, but it's deeper than that. We're going to look at that together tonight. So this semester, we've been moving through a series that we're simply calling Perspective, because it's all about God's perspective on the different complex issues in our lives. And, and these things that we are too close to, to be able to see clearly, right? And, and even the things in our own lives. And so we talked about the James Webb Space Telescope. Remember we talking about that and how the James Webb, because it is so powerful and so high up, it has a better view of the universe than you do just stepping outside and looking up at the sky because it's more powerful. And in the same way, God's perspective uh, on our own lives is better and more powerful. So he can see clearly your life better than you can because he's the one that made you and made the whole universe and he understands you in a deeper and more intimate way. And so our foundation verse for this series has been Isaiah 55.9. Isaiah 55.9, which says, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God says, my ways, my thoughts are higher than yours. So because... God's ways are higher and God's thoughts are higher because he has the true and right perspective on our lives and this vast universe he's made. We want to look to his words, what he has to say about these things. His words are going to shape our understanding. Uh, it's going to help us to know him better and help us to live uh, lives that, that please him and be the people that he wants us to be. And so over the last several weeks, we've looked at God's perspective on issues like identity and suffering and worship a couple weeks ago, Kimber talked about uh, God's perspective on media, right, and our consumption uh, of media. If you missed any of those, man, I got good news for you. They're all available to listen to on the Kyle from Memphis podcast. You can go back, check them out, uh, or, or your friend that takes really good notes. Hey, can I, can I read your notes while I listen to the podcast? So you, you can go back and listen to those. But where we're at in the, in the series now is talking about what is God's perspective on this issue of fame and popularity, 
the scriptures we're looking at tonight are going to help us understand God's perspective on those things. So again, this one tonight, God's perspective on fame, on popularity, on renown, on glory, all these kind of things. So what is God's perspective on that? Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 42, starting in verse 5. Isaiah 42, 5. The verses will be behind me, but you can also um, open that up in your Bible or on the Bible app there on version. Isaiah 42, starting in verse 5. This is what God, the Lord, says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I'll take hold of your hand. I'll keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from dungeon those who sit in darkness. That last part's extremely similar to Isaiah 61 that Jesus reads in the synagogue at the outset of his public ministry. So if it sounds familiar, that's why uh, when, when he's declaring what his purpose is going to be as Messiah on the earth. The Lord then ends the passage with this in verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, right? The Lord. That is my name. We see that there, the, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Lord, that name I am that he gave to, to, to Moses at the burning bush, the Yahweh name of God. I am God. I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. That last part is key. I'm the Lord, and I'm not going to give my glory to anyone else. I'm not going to yield it to another. Not to idols, not to other gods, not to you, right? Not to me, right? He, he's God. He doesn't yield his glory. He doesn't give his glory. He doesn't share his glory with anyone else. He says, I'm, I'm the God. I'm the creator. I created the universe. I created the heavens and the earth, and I created you. Uh, and I'm not going to share my glory with anyone else. All glory belongs to the Lord because he's the creator. He's the savior. He's the king. And he's not going to share that glory with another. Um, he's not going to compete with whatever idol we're messing around with, whatever thing's taking our attention. Um, and it's the, this thing this week, this thing next week, right? The things that take our attention off of God, to get more of our attention, our devotion uh, than the Lord has said. I'm not going to compete with that. I'm not going to share glory uh, with that thing or that person. God does love us and care about us. And we do have a role to play in God's great story. But glory and fame and honor and recognition, those belong to the Lord alone. Why? Right? Why? Why does God say, I'm not going to share my glory? Why does God say, man, I, I'm not going to share my glory with anyone else? I'm not going to share my fame, my renown with anyone else. Why? For two reasons. One is for our own good. For our own good. Um, God doesn't, isn't going to share glory with you for your own good. Because he does not want you to get into this proud place of thinking, man, look how good I am. Man, I really deserve all this good stuff happened to me. Man, maybe I'm so good, I just saved my own self from my sins, right? No, I'm so good, I'm just going to go to heaven on my own merit, right? That's impossible. And he doesn't want us to get to a proud place where we think we don't need him, right? That's not good for us. So God says, I'm not going to share my glory with you. So you get prideful, you get a big head and think somehow you're going to save yourself because we can't save ourselves, right? Not a single one of us can save ourselves. Not a single one of us can be good enough 
uh, right and righteous enough. Uh, but, but God, through his grace, man, extends mercy to us through Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross to save us, right? But he doesn't, not going to share glory with us because he doesn't want us to get prideful and start depending on ourselves and stop depending on him. So it's for our good. And the other reason it's for, it's not just for your good, it's for your neighbor's good too. Because if I get prideful and I'm saying, hey, everybody, look at me, look at me, notice me. If I'm making my life about my own fame, making myself well-known, real popular, problem is, end of the day, I can't help anybody with the fundamental problems of life, right? Can someone come to me and find deep peace for their souls? No, they cannot, right? Can I give them joy everlasting, right? Can they experience the fullness of love by coming to me? No. Can I save them from their sins? Absolutely not. Right? So when we make our lives all about us, we're robbing our neighbor. Right? Instead, man, our lives should be these neon arrow signs pointing people to Jesus. Right? Jesus is the one right, that can save you from your sins. Jesus is the one that can give you peace. Man, he can experience love and fulfillment and joy, all these things. He says, I'm not going to share my glory with another because God is the one that can actually help your friends. Right? I can't, but God can Right? So he's saying, man, I don't want to share my glory with you so that you think somehow, uh, man, you earned all this or you deserved all this or you saved yourself, but also uh, so that your life can direct people to me because, again, God's the only one that can really save and help your friends and your family members and your roommates and your coworkers. You guys tracking with me? So God says, I'm not going to share my glory, not because God has some huge ego problem. Like, it's got to be about me, right? Now, it does have to be about him because he's God, right? And there's only one God. Uh, he's God. He is ultimate in all the universe, his creator. Um, but it's not because he has a big ego problem. It's more we tend to have an ego problem. We make things all about us, but we can't actually save anybody. You guys tracking with me? So first and foremost, he says, I'm not going to share my glory first for your own good, but also because he alone is worthy, right? Only God is worthy to receive the worship of the whole world, right? Only he's worthy, man, of all that glory, of all that honor. He alone Again, we talked about Jesus went to the cross to save us. No one else did that for me. Do you guys have any else that, that died for your sins? Right? That rose from the dead to save you? No, right? So he alone man, gets all the glory, all the worship for my life because he's the one that saved me. Right? My life was an absolute mess before Jesus. Right? I mean, hopeless. Uh, no hope for, for being reunited with God, uh, no hope for what happens after this life. Um, and there's, there, there's misery, loneliness, man, man, here in the present. Jesus got a hold of my life, totally transformed my life, and gave, gave me hope, gave me purpose, experienced the love of God, the peace of God. Uh, Jesus has done so, so, so much for me. So he gets the worship. He gets the glory, right? Uh, no one else gets that. He's not going to share that with anyone else because he alone is worthy. So God says, I'm not going to share my glory, number one, for your good, but also because he alone is worthy. So understanding this, what should our response be? Again, we're talking about God's perspective on this issue of fame and glory. God says, I'm not going to share it. And again, that's for your own good. And that's for your neighbor's good. I want them to know who they can turn to for love and peace and reconciliation and forgiveness. So what should our response be in light of this? We're going to look at a couple of verses. First one, Psalm 115, verse 1. Psalm 115.1 says this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Right? Not, not to me. Do I have un- unfailing love and faithfulness? No. Now you can, you can ask Jackie, right? Uh, I have tough days. Uh, God, though, unfailing love, unfailing faithfulness. He's going to be there steady, steadfast, day after day, always there, So not to me, not to us, but Lord, to you goes all the glory 
for your unfailing love and faithfulness. And that needs to be the attitude of our heart too, God. God, not to me, but to you. Not to us, but to you, God. All the glory, all the fame. The next verse is Isaiah 26, 8. Isaiah 26, 8. It says, yes, Lord. I mean, that's something a lot of us need to be, that's our first one word response to God, right? Yes, Lord. Yeah, whatever you want, God. God, you, you desire this for my life? I just want to say yes. We had alumni night last week. Devontae was talking about letting God be Lord over your future, your major, your career, what after college looks like, your family someday. It needs to be yes, Lord, whatever you want, right? Yes, God, yes. So he says, yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. Another translation says, our heart's desire is just to glorify your name. So it says, yes, Lord. Yes, we're waiting on you, God. Um, and no, no, nothing brings better satisfaction than waiting on God, waiting for God to show up and be God in our lives. He says, I'm waiting on you. I'm walking in the way of your truth. I'm saying yes to you. Uh, and he says, man, in, in light of all this, my heart's desire is to glorify your name, to glorify your name, your name, God, your name, your renown, renown again, just is synonymous there with that idea of fame, of glory, of being well-known. Your name, God, your renown is the desire of our hearts, is the desire of our souls. Our heart's desire is to glorify your name. Man, can we get to the place where that's true of us? Right? Where we can agree with that say, yeah, yeah, God, would you help me to get to that place where my heart burns just to make your name great, to make you famous, because you alone are worthy. And man, I want everyone on this campus to know you, Jesus. I want every one of my family members to know you. I want every one of my friends to know you. I want to make your name great and way much more than I want to make my own name great. Right? I want to make sure that everyone knows you. We long to see the Lord glorified on the earth because he is worthy. And we orient our hearts away from our own fame, away from our own popularity, and towards making the name of Jesus famous on this earth. And that should be our heart. As believers, as followers of Jesus, then our heart should be, how can I make Jesus' name as famous as possible in this classroom, in this dorm room, in this apartment, at this job, in my, at this family reunion, right, at this street corner? How can I make Jesus as well-known as possible? Do you know Jesus? No, man, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you the good news of what he's done for you. Uh, let me share the difference he's made in my life. Oh, do you, do you know about Jesus yet? I want to make him as famous and well-known as possible, right? That should be our hearts. If our hearts aren't there, we need to pray to that end. God, would you change my heart? Let it burn for your fame, for your glory, and not to make a big name for myself. A few chapters earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah 22, there is an excellent illustration, again, that highlights this concept perfectly. Let me set the stage a little bit, because unless you just know Isaiah real, real well, this is going to be probably new information for you. So Isaiah chapter 22. The Lord has Isaiah, as one of his prophets, prophesy against this guy named Shebna. Shebna was the palace administrator there in Jerusalem. You guys say Jerusalem? Right? So the palace administrator, he runs the palace. He's a big deal. Man, he's in charge of a lot of stuff. His name is Shebna. Say Shebna. Shebna. All right. God's done with this guy. Right? He's done with Shebna because Shebna's prideful. Right? He's got a prideful, arrogant heart. God's done with him. So the Lord sends Isaiah to prophesy against Shebna because of his pride. The Lord says he's going to remove Shebna from office and send him far away in disgrace. Right? So we're done with Shebna. 
Friendship over with Shedna. Done with Shedna. We're kicking him out. And he goes on to say that he's going to promote this new guy, Eliakim. Say Eliakim. Son of Hilkiah. And he's going to replace Shedna. So we're going to to pick up in verse 20. This is Isaiah 22, verse 20. We're getting rid of Shedna. We're going to uh, promote Eliakim. Uh, in his place. But again, there's going to be an illustration here that's going to be so good for us what we're talking about tonight. God's perspective on fame. Isaiah 22, starting in verse 20. And then I will carry my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, to replace you. I will dress him in your royal robes and I will give him your title and your authority. And he'll be a father to the people of Jerusalem and Judah. I will give him the key to the house of David, the highest position in the royal court. When he opens doors, no one will be able to close them. When he closes doors, no one will be able to open them. Now, we all want that, right? Yeah, God, I want to be that kind of person. Man, put, put me on that kind of pedestal, and, and what I say goes. If I open a door, it's open. If I close the door, it's closed. Maybe you guys pray that in church. God, would you open doors? No man can open. Close doors? No man can shut. You guys are getting flashbacks now to, to Sunday. Um, but again, so he's saying, I'm going to put you, Elakim, I'm going to put you in this place, right? You're going to have the royal robe on you. You're going to have authority here. Um, But he goes on to say this, verse 23, he, Eliakim, is going to bring honor to his family name, for I will drive him firmly in place like a nail going into the wall. Well, it sounded pretty good until that part, right? I'm going to have the royal robe. I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to be opening doors and closing doors. God says, I'm going to drive you like a nail into the wall. Boom. Okay. All right. Verse 23, I'll drive him like a peg, firm in place. And he'll become a seat of honor for the house of his, of his father. In verse 24, all the glory of his family will hang on him. Saying, Eliakim, I'm going to make you like a nail. And I'm going to drive you into the wall. And the glory, the honor of your family is going to hang on that peg. Right? And you're going to display, my, you're going to display the glory, the honor of this family. And so the, the, the idea here being that uh, when you hang something on a peg, where's the peg go? I mean, it's still there, but it's hidden from sight, right? Uh, the, the, the peg there is just to help display the thing. Uh, and, and it is not the thing. And in fact, when the thing is on it, it goes away. You don't see the nail anymore. You don't see the peg anymore. It kind of vanishes, um, but it displays the glory of the thing. And the, the illustration here for us is God wants us to be the same way. He wants you to be a little peg, a little nail that his glory can hang on. Right? When his glory is hanging on you, people don't really see you because it's not about you. It's about God's glory. But in the same way, he's made Elechem, this, this peg, this nail driven into the wall, which his glory can be hung on. He says, man, I want to do the same for you. And so there's, uh, yeah, Elechem would become a nail, a peg on which glorious and honorable things could be hung. He'd be covered up. He'd be hidden. But he would display glory and it would honor his family. So there's missionary church planner and personal hero of mine, Dick Brogdon. He writes this about this passage. It should be, should be up there, but it's probably small, but you can listen along. Essentially, God said that through Eliakim, even though he was small and unrecognized, again, y'all probably never heard about this dude before tonight, maybe you have. Even though he was small and unrecognized, he would be established firmly as a hidden peg on which to hang glorious things. This is God's intention for us as well. He wants to establish us securely in order to hang His glory on us. We're to be small, forgotten pegs that display the glory of God. 
Now, not many of us begin in Christian service with the ambition to be a hidden peg, completely obscure, right? That's not what we grew up wanting to be. When we have pegged well, though, no one can see us. No one even knows that we're there. All they can see is God's glory, right? When we're, when we're doing our job as the peg, doing our job as the nail, right? All people see is God's glory. There is no higher calling than to be an obscure peg, securely fastened to God's wall that helps to display his glory. A beautiful, I had a beautiful, a faithful peg (laughs) that is true to its assignment is not seen and it doesn't care. The highest joy for glory pegs is to go unnoticed even as God uses them to display his glory. That's good, right? The, the, the faithful peg, the faithful nail. Nobody knows who they are, but they don't care because they're displaying God's glory, right? What an honor to display God's glory. And so if there's man, uh, something I really want you to get this, right, is, is God, would you make me that little peg, that little nail? I brought, I brought some nails here. Uh, these are, are just simple uh, hanging stuff on the wall nails, right? And they're real small. In fact, some of y'all's eyesight is not great. And you may cannot even see it even with me holding it up. Some of y'all got your contacts in so you'll be able to see it. This real tiny, right? It's teeny bitty now. Some of y'all squinting. You're just going to, if you can't see it, you're just going to have to trust me, right? Can you, do you trust me? Um, I, I've got a bunch of these. So this is a little nail. And, and what the Bible is saying here, God's perspective, God wants this to be you. This to be you. This itty bitty nail. This little bitty picture framing nail peg. God wants this to be you. And then when the nail's in place, and then the picture's hung on it, you don't really see the nail anymore, right? And so, so when the nail is, is driven in place, and I, mean, I, I, I you know, hammered in there, bang, 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 right? It's in there. Um, and the nail's in there, man. It's secure. It's not going anywhere. Um, some of you can't even see it now, but you're really about to not be able to see it at all. The nail, it's not about the nail, right? It's not about the nail. It's about what can be hung on the nail for God's glory. So God says, I want you to nail driven into the wall, you know, that I can hang my glory on, right? And so we, we practice this part, so we do right. There we go. So let's say this picture represents God's glory, right? Well, where'd the nail go? It's still there, but it's not about the nail, right? When we're displaying God's glory, we become hidden, right? We become obscured so that God can be glorified, right? God wants to make us that little nail that his glory can hang on so his glory can be on display. Um, That's what he wants to make me. That's what he wants to make you. In fact, that's what he wants our prayer to be. God, God, would you make me that little nail, that little peg that you can hang your glory on? I don't care if anyone knows my name. I don't care if I'm forgotten. Um, like, I hope some people know me. Like, like I, I love my wife. I love my kids. You know, I like that they know my name, right? I like that some of y'all know my name. Um, for a while, I'm just pastor. I know the first few weeks. And then it's, oh, it's Matt. Okay. Uh, I, I like that, right? But if I'm forgotten, right? If, I'm, if, if you go on 10 years from now, you're like, man, I was in a college ministry. Uh, and there's this pastor guy, and he was, he was a goofball. What was his name again? Honestly, if you remember Jesus, I did my job. If y'all remember Jesus, if the people you interact with, they know Jesus, but they forget you, that's okay. Because we're just a nail, right? We're just a nail that God's glory hangs on. It's okay if they forget us. It's okay. It's fine. I'm not bothered by it, right? A um, hundred years from now, my own, my own descendants won't even remember me, right? We established that at the front, right? My own great-grandkids aren't going to know much about me or probably even know my first name. What a waste to make my life about making myself famous. Not forget it. I'm going to be in obscurity so God's glory can be on full display. 
You guys tracking with me? That's God's heart for us. That's His perspective. Again, not because God's got a huge ego, because He loves people and wants to save people. So He wants His glory on full display on our life so that people around us can know they can come to Him, they can turn to Him, and they can find the same freedom and the peace in Christ that we've found. Amen? Amen. That's good. We're a small, hidden, forgotten peg on which God's glory is displayed, like a forgotten nail on which a picture is hung. We live in humble obscurity for God's glory, and that is God's perspective on fame. So if someone says, what is God's perspective on fame and popularity? Well, man, he's not about it. He doesn't share his glory uh, with others. His perspective is much better for us to be humble so that he can hang and display his glory through us. So again, I don't mind if I'm forgotten. I don't mind if no one remembers my name or my accomplishments as long as Jesus is glorified through my life. I can be hidden. I can be obscure. I don't need fame. I don't need popularity. I just want to be firmly in place in that wall displaying God's glory. And that's it. And that's it. So what does this mean for us? Uh, last, last verse I want to look at. What does this mean for us? We need to have the same attitude in us that John the Baptist had. Right? So John the Baptist says this in the Gospel of John chapter 3, verse 30. Real short. You could probably memorize it. He must increase and I must decrease. Real simple, right? That's a short sermon, much shorter than what I'm doing tonight. He must increase and I must decrease. That's his attitude. We've got to have that same attitude that was in John and us. He's seeing Jesus. Jesus is coming on the scene. John's disciples are like, John, Rabbi, he, some people are, that were following us are now following him. John says, good. He's the Messiah, right? That's a good thing. I'm not worried about that. In fact, if I could decrease even more, if I could become even more obscure, and it makes Jesus bigger, then let, let's do that. I want to get on that, right? I've got to decrease so that he can increase. And it's the same for all of us. If Jesus is going to be glorified in a major way on your, in your life, at some point it's going to mean you decreasing, right? At some point it's got to stop being about my fame, my popularity, making a big name for myself. It's got to if my life's going to make a big name for Jesus, if it's going to bring glory to God, right? So I've got to decrease so that he can increase, so that he can be on full display. Our lives are incredibly short. Incredibly short. And the Bible says it's like a vapor. It's not cold yet, even though it's November. It's going to be cold, right? And on a cold day, you can step outside and you breathe and you see your breath for like half a second and then it's gone. The Bible says that's what our life is like. It's like a vapor. It's there for a second and then it's gone compared to eternity, right? Compared to eternity, your 70, 80, 90 years are like a vapor and they're gone. So don't waste those years you have trying to live for your own glory. Instead, God says, man, weave your life into the greater story of God and what he's doing on this earth. That's how our life has lasting significance, lasting meaning, not trying to make ourselves famous and get in that history book or get in that Wikipedia entry for 100 years from now to be forgotten anyway, right? He said, don't waste your life that way, but instead weave your life into God's story. Weave your life into what God's doing uh, in the earth. I mean, that's how our lives have lasting significance. God is the central figure in all of existence. And our lives are woven into his story, not the other way around, right? Our lives need to be woven into God's story, not the other way around. The enemy would love for us to get in that prideful place where we see God as a supplement to our story, right? God is a side character in my story, right? God's there to help me. God's there to bless me. God's there to provide for me. He's there for us. He's helping us succeed. He's helping us get what we need rather than our lives existing for his glory, 
right? Our lives uh, folded into his life. Our story folded into his story. Our temptation is always going to be to take God's glory and make the story about us. But the story's not about us. I'm not the main character, right? I'm the side character. Jesus is the main character. But the temptation, the enemy's going to be like, man, make it about you. It's about you. Look out for number one. Right, got to make sure you promote yourself. Got to make sure you hustle. Make sure you grind. Make sure you get out there. Make sure people know you. What a waste of time. What a waste of time. Instead, let's make our lives, man, that nail that the glory of God can be displayed on. Right? That's how your life has lasting significance. When you're part of the ongoing story of God that's going to echo for thousands of years, for millions of years, for billions of years, into eternity. Right? When you get to join you know, the voice you know, with the huge choir of voices that are proclaiming God's glory forever and ever and ever. That's how your life has meaning. That's how, how your life has significance. Yes, our lives are short. They're brief. So all the more, man, let's not waste them just trying to make a big deal about us. But let's weave our story into God's story and keep making his name great. Amen? Amen. We're in his story and not the other way uh, around. Um, my wife's parents, Jackie's parents, uh, after they retired, um, they were trying to figure out what to do. You don't have to go to work anymore, so you got to figure out what you want to do. One of the things they wanted to do uh, is be part of the Screen Actors Guild. Am I saying that right? You guys familiar with this? The Screen Actors Guild, you get to see movies and be a part of voting on movies and, and cool stuff like that. All you have to do to be in the Screen Actors Guild is to be in three movies. Is that the deal? Two movies? I lowered the bar. Uh, <laughs> if you are in two movies, you get to be in the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, anybody in the Screen Actors Guild here tonight? For real? All right. Well, look at that. We got some honored guests. Oh, they're shaking no. Man, you punked me on Wacky Night. Come on. Okay. But, but you, don't have to get to, you don't have to be the starring role in the film, right? You don't have to be the star of the film. You just have to be in it. That means you could be in the background, you know, extra walking by. And you're in two of those. If I understand it right, you're in the Screen Actors Guild. Done. So that was their, that was their plan. We're going to be some extras in some movies. Leland's got lots of questions because this, this is his life ambition. We'll talk about it another time. Um, they live in Atlanta, right, uh, where they film a lot of movies. If you don't know, a lot of movies are filmed in Atlanta, right? Uh, and Tyler Perry does all his stuff in Atlanta. Uh, Marvel Studios. Have you seen a Marvel movie in the last 10 years? You guys heard of this, Marvel? Uh, it's filmed in Atlanta, right? And so a lot of, a lot of, a lot of film stuff uh, is happening in Atlanta. Casting calls, those kind of things. So, so they go out for some of those. And, and they're actually in... A movie. It's a Tom Cruise movie. I don't remember the title of it, but it's a Tom Cruise movie, and they're in the background of a scene, uh, sitting at a table chatting, and he's in the foreground doing Tom Cruise-y stuff, and, and they're, they're in the background. You can see the back of their head, something like that. And they're in the movie. They're in the movie. And, and, and as the movie's coming out, man, they're excited about it. Y'all, we're in a Tom Cruise movie. It's coming out. Now, once it came out, they're like, this movie ain't it. Don't even worry about it. Don't, don't even bother trying to see it. But, but that's not the point. They got to be, they got to be in the movie. Um, and now they're not the stars of the movie, but they're in the movie. And in the same way, we're not the stars of the movie that is the universe and existence, right? God is the central figure of all creation and all history uh, and everything. And, and we're not the star of the show, but he does invite us to be in it. He invites us to be part of the story. What an honor. God wants to use you to display his glory. He wants to use you to share the gospel, to make disciples, to love on people, to serve people. You're not the star, but you get to be in it. If God comes up to you and says, Sharice, I want you to be in my movie. You're not going to say, well, what part do I need? No, right? You're going to be like, yeah, I want to be in the movie. Let's go. I'm going to be there for sure. Put me, I, I can be... 
random guy number three in the back of a city. It doesn't matter, man. I get to be in God's movie. My life is not a waste, right? We're not the star, but we get to be a part of what God's doing. And what God's doing is incredible in this world. Man, loving people, redeeming a fallen mankind to himself. We get to be a part of that? Let's go. Let's weave our story into what God's doing and not try to make God a backup character in our story because, man, that is just so foolish. So foolish. Man, what a waste. What a waste. So let's be, let's be a display for God's glory. God's ways are higher than ours, and we need his perspective on our lives to better understand him and how he wants us to live. We need his perspective on fame and popularity and glory. Man, does the world chase after these things? Does the world want to be real popular, real famous, real well-known? Of course, of course. We need God's perspective and what God's word has to say about our lives and that our lives are going to find so much more significance and meaning and purpose by weaving them into his story rather than trying to gain glory for ourselves. That we can waste our lives trying to be famous or trying to be somebody great but we'll find no greater purpose and joy and fulfillment in life than by allowing ourselves to become that small, forgotten, unrecognized nail in the wall that displays the glory of God to those around us. All right, so that's, that's my challenge to you guys. Maybe that nail that is not seen, is not glamorous, is forgotten. Now you probably walk, walk past pictures in your own house if you're in a dorm room, you may not have pictures hung on nails. You got like some sticky tape with a poster up or something, right? Be that sticky tape, right? It's just this forgotten. And when you when you walk by that picture uh, in your house, your mom's house, you don't you don't walk by and think, man, that nail day in and day out is getting it done. Uh, that nail is doing work. Good job, nail. Way to go, man. This picture's been on the wall ten years and it's not missed a beat. You don't even think about the nail. You don't even think about the nail, right? Because it's doing its job. Uh, and that's my challenge to you. Man, let, let's live that life of humility and not even be bothered by obscurity if it means Jesus' name is great. Amen? If it means God's glory is on display. Let's pray. You guys bow your heads. Father, uh, we love you. And you alone are worthy of all the glory, of all the honor, of all the worship and praise of every human being on earth. God, you alone are worthy. You alone created us and crafted us, shaped us and molded us given in our lives purpose and meaning and direction. God, you alone saved us from our sins and our rebellion, forgave us, cleansed us, adopted us into the family of God, gave us hope and love and peace and all the good gifts of blessings to enjoy, God. Because of that, you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy of the glory. And you, and you won't share it for our, for our own good. We don't need it. We, we, we don't need that burden. We'll get prideful. And people can't come to us for help anyway. We want to make our lives uh, man, signs that point to you. Nails that display your glory, God. God, would you help us? Times that we're prideful, times that we're selfish, times where we want to make it about us. God, every single one of us has days like this. God, would you help us? Help us to grow in humility. Help us to have that same heart that was in John the Baptist, that God, I need to decrease so that you, you can increase. I need my life to be less about me and more about you so that your glory can be on full display because honestly, there's people in my life that need you. And if I make my life all about how popular I can get, man, I've wasted it, I've missed it, and I've failed them. God, let our lives display your glory in every way. Humble us, God. Humble us, God. 